0: Good morning. So we're starting a new series uh, this weekend, the Advent series. And as our uh, theme verse for the series, we're choosing First 1 Corinthians 1:27. 1, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world the shame, the strong. We're gonna be talking about the unlikely advent of Jesus Christ. Everything about advent is, makes no sense from a human, worldly perspective. The People involved, what they do, what they experience, what God does with all of that, none of us would have come up with it on our own and yet God did unlikely things with unlikely people to change the course of human history. That's what we'll be talking about throughout this series and today I'm going to be talking about Mary, the unlikely mother of God. Now I think it's fair to say that the church over the centuries has not really known what to do with Mary. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church comes perilously close to worshiping her. The Eastern Orthodox Church uh, kind of makes her a sort of otherworldly, iconic figure, pun intended. Um, And the Protestant Church just kind of ignores Mary, doesn't give her the respect or honor that she deserves. But Mary in the Bible is really a big deal. Mary was chosen to do something that no other human being throughout all of human history was asked to do. She was asked to be the human mother of the Son of God. Her yes to God helped change human history. Her yes to God help change the eternal destiny of those of us here in this sanctuary this morning. So I wanna read Luke chapter one, verses 26 to 56. And as I'm reading, pay attention to what is going on with Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, to be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is a child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then returned home. This morning, I wanted to get at four questions. What was God doing that first Christmas? What did Mary say yes to when she said yes to God? Why did she say yes to it? And why was Mary chosen? And what can we learn from her? So, What was God doing that first Christmas? He was providing us with a Savior, someone who could and would pay the debt for the sins of the world, our sins. God was entering human history, taking on human flesh as Jesus Christ. God the Son entered the world not as a king or a conqueror, but through a womb as a helpless infant. Jesus was born of woman, so he was fully human. He was also born of God, the Holy Spirit, so he was fully divine. That's the mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus Christ is the God-man, fully human and fully divine, fully God. Only one who's both fully human and fully God could save us from our sins. And Mary was asked to be that human mother of God, of the Son of God. Mary's yes to God helped change all of human history. So Mary is not to be worshipped, but neither is she to be ignored. She should be recognized. She should be respected. She should be honored by all of us because she shows us what it's like to follow Jesus and point to Jesus with her life. Now, what did Mary say yes to when she said yes to God? She said yes to scandal, to shame, to disgrace, to loss, to pain, to sorrow. Let me say that again. She said yes to scandal. She said yes to shame. She said yes to disgrace. She said yes to loss. She said yes to pain. She said yes to sorrow. She said yes to not my will, but your will be done, O God. Let me try to unpack that. Mary was a young woman who's pledged to be married to a young man named Joseph. Now, some of you may have heard that Mary was maybe 12, 13 when she was betrothed, but Joseph was this guy in his 30s, maybe a whole lot older. There's a fifth century apocryphal text that says that, Mary, uh, that Joseph was a widower, an older widower. And uh, that's the only text. There's also some speculation that Joseph must have been old because it's pretty clear, it seems pretty clear that he he had died by the time Jesus uh, was 30 or so. And there's a doctrine, a Roman Catholic and actually Eastern Orthodox doctrine as well that says that Mary remained a virgin her whole life, perpetual virgin, uh, perpetual virgin. For those things together, some people think that um, Joseph must have been an old guy. But I think it's very, very, very likely that Joseph was not. What was common that day was for young women to get betrothed somewhere between the ages of 13 and 16 and for young men to be betrothed somewhere between the ages of 17, 18, at most 20. That's what was common. Scripture doesn't say anything about the ages because I think they did what was common. People knew that. Now, betrothal in first first century Jewish culture was a lot more serious than the way we think about engagement today. It involved a financial agreement between the two families and could only be broken by divorce or death. It lasted about a year and concluded with the wedding night where the marriage would be consummated. Now, during that engagement year, during that year that Mary and Joseph were engaged uh, or betrothed, they would prepare for their wedding just as a young couple would prepare for their wedding and marriage, any young couple. So how did they prepare? Mary prepared by doing a lot of sewing. She sewed dishcloths, washcloths, towels. She sewed all their clothes for the wedding. She prepared that way. Joseph probably would have prepared by building. He was a carpenter by trade. And he would have built the home that they would move into. And commonly, that home would be a one-room kind of structure attached to the home of Joseph's parents. And along, along with that, during that year, Mary and Joseph would spend time together under chaperone, getting to know one another. Building their relationship with one another. So I think you can easily imagine Mary's feelings of affection growing during that time for Joseph, maybe some fears and anxieties as well, kind of anticipating the, the kind of anxiety that comes from anticipating. I think the same would have been true for Joseph as well. You know, these were real, live human beings with real, live human feelings. Now, imagine what it would have been like for Mary when the angel Gabriel came to her She wakes up that day. She's content and she's happy. She's engaged. She's beginning to know and love Joseph. She's preparing for her wedding. She's dreaming, thinking about imagining what her new life with Joseph would be after they got married. And then an angel of the Lord drops in on her out of nowhere. And he just interrupts her plans. He rips her dreams to shreds. Gabriel comes to her and says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And you can imagine, you what? Wait. What's astonishing to me is that Mary didn't just fall over in a dead faint? You know She takes Gabriel's message in. In Luke chapter two, we're told that as things happened to Mary, she pondered them, and she treasured them in her heart, and she pondered them. There's a lot behind that phrase. It means that she really took it in and thought about it and interpreted it based on what she knew of God and his purposes for Israel and for the world. So she's taking stuff in. And then she asked Gabriel a question. She she asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And it's not a question expressing doubt or disbelief, it's simply a question of how. How is this going to happen? And Gabriel answers by saying, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed the work of creation and the cosmos came into being, so he would overshadow Mary and a child would come into being in her womb. Gabriel also tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age. The one who could not conceive when she was of childbearing age will conceive now when she is old. Why? How? Because no word of God will fail. No promise of God will go unfulfilled. So Gabriel answers Mary's question. And Mary says, in effect, okay, I'm in. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. But don't imagine that Mary says yes to God because she's naive or thoughtless. Mary knew the repercussions that would flow from being unwed and pregnant in her culture. Mary's submission to God's plan would cost her dearly, and she knew it. She knew this, yet she said yes to God. She was willing to be God's servant regardless of the cost. It doesn't mean, however, that she wasn't anxious and scared. All kinds of anxious thoughts must have flooded into her mind. How will I explain what's happening to me? Who will believe me? Will anyone believe me? She thinks, well, maybe maybe Elizabeth will believe me. So Mary sits off. To visit Elizabeth, it's about an 80-mile journey, rugged journey, up into the hill country of Judea. She gets to Elizabeth's house, a few days' travel, and she greets Elizabeth. And even as the greeting leaves her mouth, a child in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cries out, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. You see, Elizabeth knew and Mary was pregnant with the Son of the Most High, pregnant with the one who would be Savior, her Lord, before Mary had a chance to tell her. Mary had chosen, had already chosen, believe that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. But the Lord had given Elizabeth to Mary to encourage her in that belief. And how Mary needed that encouragement. There are times when the Lord says something to us. There are times when the Lord calls us to something that scares, just really scares the bejeebers out of us. And very often, after the Lord says something to that, And we begin to say yes to it. He brings people into our lives or situations into our lives to encourage us in our belief. I know that when the idea came of planting a church, Journey Church, a number of years ago, that it seemed scary to the people who were part of that launch team, part of that initial conversation. They were scared. How are we going to make this fly? What are we going to do if it doesn't fly? How are we going to pay our bills while we're waiting for it to fly? And God brought encouragement to them. Brought encouragement to Pastor Tom and the people that he was leading at that time. And we're here today because of that yes. And that encouragement. But... Can you imagine what it would have been like for Mary? She she stays with Elizabeth for three months until Elizabeth's child is born, the person who becomes John the Baptist, and then she comes back to Nazareth. She comes, can you imagine what it would have been like to stand before her mother, see her face, and say to her, Mom, I'm three months pregnant, but, but I'm still a virgin. I mean, would you have believed her if she'd been your daughter? And then there was Joseph. She had to tell Joseph. Would he believe her? And what would happen if he didn't believe her? Because the only logical explanation for for Mary's condition was, one, that uh, Joseph and Mary had had uh, intimate relations already and Joseph knew that wasn't true or that she had committed adultery with someone or that she'd been raped but Mary had said wouldn't, didn't say anything about rape so the only really logical explanation was that she'd committed adultery with somebody else and the penalty for adultery in that culture was stoning, being stoned to death. At the very least, what Mary expected was that there would be a very difficult, painful, degrading divorce and that she would be scorned and shamed for the rest of her life. In the Babylonian Talmud, there, it describes the kind of curses that would fall upon a young woman that the people of a village would, would actually chant, Cursed be he who begot her. Cursed be he who brought her up. Cursed be he from whose loins she sprang. Imagine being falsely accused of doing something that was considered utterly evil and shameful. You didn't do it, but no one believes you. No one believes you not your family, not your spouse, not your friends, no one. What would that have felt like? And then imagine knowing that your condition, even if it wasn't your fault, was bringing extraordinary hurt and shame to the people you loved. Cursed be he who begot her. Cursed be he who brought her up. Cursed be he from whose loins she sprang. First it would be her parents, in other words. And we know Joseph from Matthew chapter 1 was just shocked and hurt. His reputation as an observant Jew would be called into question. He was shamed. He was hurt. He was broken. Imagine the fear coursing through Mary's mind and heart and soul. What if Joseph divorced her? What would, what would she do? How would she take care of her child? She'd be ostracized. With no means of support, she, no, no one would ever marry her. No one would have pity on her. And what about her son? What would happen to him? She knew that the villagers would taunt and ostracize her son. In fact, in the Gospels, there are hints that that's exactly what happened to Jesus as he was growing up. He was seen as an illegitimate child, a child born of shame. Mary knew all this, and yet she said yes to God. Now why? Why did Mary say yes to God despite the cost? It's because she knew and she believed God's word. It's because she put her faith and trust not in herself, not in her family, not in Joseph, not in her village. She put her ultimate faith and trust and hope in God. Luke 1 46 to 55 records a song of praise that erupted from Mary when she visited Elizabeth. It reveals that Mary knew her scripture. Every phrase of that song comes from the Old Testament. Comes from the Psalms, it comes from 1st and 2nd Samuel. It comes from uh, Isaiah, it comes from a number of places. Every phrase comes from God. She didn't look it up, she had it in her. It's what she already had in her that flowed out. God's word was in her. And that song also reveals what she believed about God and about his character. She knew God. Listen to what she says. God is the mighty one who has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers From their throne. She knows that God is powerful, that God is mighty, that God is sovereign, that He's in control. God is the King, only God. And His reign extends over all of the universe. She knows that about God. She also knows that God is the one who lifts up the humble, He's the one who fills the hungry with good things. He sends the rich away empty, but he helps his servant Israel. He remembers to be merciful. God, I mean, Mary knew God's character. God was powerful and God was good, merciful, kind, gracious. Mary put her trust in God, put her trust in God's character. She knew God. And the only way you can know God's character is by being saturated with God's Word. Now, why was Mary chosen? And what what can we learn from her? God didn't choose Mary because of her status or power, or influence. He didn't choose her because of where she came from or whom she knew. It wasn't because of her wealth or education or achievements. It wasn't because uh, uh, of her beauty or charm or social grace. She may have had those things, but it wasn't why God chose her. God chose Mary because of who she was on the inside. He chose her because of her character, He chose her because of what she believed and even more because he knew she belonged to him. He chose her because Mary was receptive. She was willing to be interrupted, open to hearing from God. We need to be asking God to help us to be open to him to be receptive to him. Now, you can't be open to God. You can't be receptive to God if you don't have margins, if you like, in your life. You don't create space in your life for God to interrupt, for God to come in and speak to you. We need to give God space. And we need to be prepared to hear him when he comes to us. You have to make space in your life to ponder what God is saying and doing. And you can't say yes to God if you're not hearing what he's saying, discerning what he's doing. You gotta make space for God in your life. You also have to have an attitude of expectancy. You gotta believe that God is speaking, wants to speak to you. I think it's fair to say that God is speaking to us all the time. And it's also fair to say that we don't hear him because we're not expecting him to speak or we're too busy to hear what he's saying to us when he speaks. Mary was humble and she was meek She had no sense of entitlement. She didn't think that she deserved better from God. She didn't think she had the right to control her life. No sense of entitlement. She was willing to give God full control of her life. She was willing to say yes to God when He told her that she would be blessed with a child, not of her own choosing and not on her time schedule. We've got to be willing to hear and surrender to God's call and purpose for our lives. We need to be willing to be interrupted by God's divine appointments. God meets us on his terms, not on ours, on his time schedule, not on our time schedule, not when it's convenient for us. Mary was a servant. She was willing to put herself under God's authority and purpose. What that meant was that her body was not not her own. Her reputation was not her own. Her future was not her own. All of that belonged to God. And Mary gave it to God freely. Now, just as Mary chose God, God has also chosen you and me. God has chosen. You're seated here in this sanctuary today Because God has chosen you, he's chosen you. He wants to use your life to advance his mission, his purpose in the world, his purpose of love and grace and mercy, of redemption and restoration. God chose you and me not because he needs us but because he's gracious. He wants us to be part of what he's doing in the universe. He invites us to come into it. He chose you and me. He has a purpose for each of our lives. And that purpose isn't thrown off by who we are, where we came from, what we've done in the past. His purpose overcomes, transcends all of that, uses all of that accomplish what he wants to do in and through our lives. God has chosen us to carry Jesus Christ into the world, to be Christ's loving presence in this world. And like Mary, if we say yes to God, we become an instrument to carry Jesus' love and character and goodness and glory into this world. Like Mary, we may suffer sorrow and loss and shame. But like Mary, we will experience great joy. We will rejoice like Mary rejoiced. We can know the joy of having found favor with God. We can know the joy of being part of God's great cosmic plan of redemption. In restoration, we can know the joy of being with God and have experienced God's unfathomable faithfulness and goodness. Like Mary, we can be blessed to be a blessing. Now, here's my big idea. This is what I want you to hear. When we say yes to God, God takes all our plans and he puts them through a shredder. And then he takes all those shreds and he starts weaving them back together into a beautiful tapestry. God takes the shreds of our lives and he creates a masterpiece. God is making a masterpiece of your life and my life. When we say yes to God, we say yes to God's masterpiece of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our, our God. You made us your children. We belong to you. And thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose for our lives that transcends everything we could even imagine. Thank you that you're at work to create masterpieces of each of our lives here in this sanctuary. And thank you, Lord, that you are faithful beyond beyond all human belief. Lord, we want to say yes to you. Help us to say yes to whatever it is you call us to be and to do and lord be glorified in all of that we ask in jesus name amen